We uh, have been in this study for several months now. Started out down in Egypt. And we've made it out of Egypt over to somewhere out in the wilderness that God is teaching His people many things about Himself. He showed Pharaoh that He was God. And He showed uh, the Israelite people that He was God through many of the miracles that He did. Now He's teaching them about worship and things there in the tabernacle that were made especially for people to worship God. And in uh, verse 11 of Exodus chapter 30, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. When thou numberst them, that they may be no plague among them, and when thou numberst them, this they shall give, every one that passes among them that are numbered, half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. And in parentheses, a shekel is twenty geras. A half shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. Every one that passes among them that are numbered from twenty years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for your souls, and thou shalt take the atonement money of the children of Israel, and shalt appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, that it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. Let's pause there and, and uh, study this for just a little while uh, tonight. And thinking about worship, he, he gives some things here that should be not only in their lives, but in our lives also as we, we come to worship the Lord. People say, well, you don't have to have money to worship the Lord. Well, that's, that's true to a certain point. But money does play a part in, in some of this. That's the reason over in Malachi you find that God told His people, and He asked them a question, really, will a man rob God? And it was asking that, that way in which the answer was intended to be, yes, man will rob God. But they asked a question back, how have we robbed you? And God answers in tithes and in offerings. They were not bringing them. And, and it was out of this basis that the statement that was made when God said, return unto me and I will return unto you. This study that we had for a couple of months here during our Sunday school time about returning to God, that's where it was based. It's right there in Malachi chapter 3. That's one of the ways that they had left God. Well, God is giving them instruction here out in the wilderness. As this, uh, this tabernacle was being built, 
and he's telling them all of the pieces about it and, and everything that they're to do. And he tells us there in verse 12, when thou takest the sum of the children of Israel, in other words, when you do a census, as we would call it today, I don't know how often they did them. I believe over in Leviticus it required it once a year. We do it here in the United States every 10 years. Uh, there's a reason for a census. It's not just that the government wants to keep track of us, but there's a lot of good information that is available through, through a census and those kind of things. But it was really started back here in the Old Testament so that Israel would know how many men who were of fighting age or army age and their capabilities of how big an army they could muster. And that's always been important in, in uh, nations, still important today. Uh, when I was a teenager, when I turned 18, I had to go register for the draft. Now, they don't require that anymore, but, but it was a requirement when I was turned 18. They wanted to know how many were available that they could call up. Well, here the Lord says, when you take the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they, the people, give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. The census was taken, but yet out of this census, every man was to pay a ransom for his soul. What's the word ransom mean? Another word for it. What was it? Redeem, yeah, redemption. It's for the redemption of the soul. My understanding of, of being redeemed is being bought back. Uh, Hosea did that. You remember Hosea married a harlot and had some kids by her and then she run off and went back into harlotry. And she, she was a slave and she was being auctioned off. And Hosea went and took all the money he had and bought her back. That was redemption. Well, who redeems us? Jesus. Jesus. So you see, this is a picture of, of Jesus here. Every man shall give a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. It's a, a gift to God. It has several things that it does, but one of the main things was to, for the upkeep of the tabernacle and later on the temple. This, was, this money was used for that. When thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them, when thou numberest them. It seems as if God says if they don't give the ransom for their soul, then they're going to be open for a plague to come upon them. And God can offer a blessing or God can also offer a curse, you know. And he, he tells them that, I believe it's in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy where the blessings and the curses are all spelled out there. 
He said, This thou shalt give every one that passes among them that are numbered, half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel was a, a small piece of silver. My book here says uh, a fifth of an ounce of silver, which is not a lot. But uh, it was, that was to be their offering to the Lord. Everyone that passes among them that are numbered, now he gives an age here, from 20 years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord. I haven't read anywhere in here where the women were required to do this, but the men were. They were the heads of the household. And notice in verse 13, he says, The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. Same ransom for everyone. It takes the same blood of Jesus Christ to save the richest man on the face of this earth or to save the poorest sinner. Very same thing. He redeems us in all in, in the same way. When they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. That word atonement is, is an interesting word. If you break it down, it says at one meant. And that's really what it means. We're at one with God when we're atoned for. That we're at one with God. And that's a, that's a beautiful thought. And thou shalt take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. See, there's a specific purpose why it's taken there and what it's to be used for. That it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. So who can worship? The ones who are redeemed. That's the only people that can really worship God today. It's those who have been redeemed. Not by the money, but by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are redeemed. But there's a lesson to be learned about this, about the uh, support of the church. It takes money to operate a, a church. They don't, you don't heat this building and cool it for nothing. It costs money. Uh, some people have thought the government should do that. No, 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 no. It's always been up to God's people to provide that. We don't need the government telling us what we can and can't do. But uh, we get enough of that. But this, this offering that was to be made, it had a very uh, beautiful picture there of, of a person giving themselves to the Lord and the Lord redeeming them and setting them free from their sins. Any questions or comments on those verses? This, this is the passage of Scripture. You remember several months ago in preaching through the book of Matthew where Jesus, uh, the question was asked about Jesus if he paid tribute. This is what it's talking about. Did Jesus do that? Yeah. 
You remember what he did when they came and asked him that? Sent Peter out to catch fish. And in the fish's mouth was that coin. Uh, it was a shackle, not a half a shackle, but a shackle. And you remember what he told Peter to do? Take it. Give it for both of us. There's enough there for two people, you see. So we, we see Jesus tied in with this. There's a, a wash basin here that we're going to talk about for a few minutes. <clears throat> so in order to, to worship, we must be ransomed or redeemed. And in order to worship, we must be clean. These priests would start sacrificing the animals outside of the tabernacle. And I don't know if you've ever been around where they kill animals or not, but it's dirty work. You get blood and a little bit of everything on you. But before they could come in to worship, God makes a place to where they can be cleaned. Verse 17, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot or the pedestal also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. And thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water. They that die not, that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn, to burn offerings, made by fire unto the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet and they sh that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. So the priest, they've been out there slaughtering animals. And now they want to go into the tabernacle and they want to intercede for God's people. They want to do their job. They want to draw near to the Lord. They want to be in the Lord's presence. But they are defiled. They're defiled by the blood and uh, the stuff that comes out of animals that gotten on them. So God makes a way. Before they can enter the tabernacle, they must go through this cleansing process. Somebody tell me what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, before we can worship the Lord, we have to be clean also. We have to be cleansed with His blood. And we get that through confessing our sins. Someone asked me the other day, how can I get rid of my sins? I quoted that verse of Scripture. It's what came to my mind. 
it seems like a simple thing. And it is, really. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But a lot of times we forget that little if. And we try to make it, cover it up, get along without confessing it to God, not making it right with our fellow man, those kind of things. And then we come to the house of God and we wonder, well, what's wrong with our worship today? Could be we came in with dirty hands and dirty feet. He told them to wash their hands and their feet. Not just their hands, but their hands and their feet. You see, hands are indicative of our ministry. We minister many times with our hands, things that we do. Our feet is what carries us from place to place and takes us to where we can minister. So God has made it here that they can have that cleansing to come in before Him, to come in with clean hands and clean feet, a pure heart, we might add. So this is one of the ways that we can come and worship God through being cleansed. Uh, I served as a director of missions up in Cumberland Gap Baptist Association for 11 years. And that's up in the edge of Tennessee, Virginia, and Kentucky, right there where the three states meet. Had a lot of little mountain churches. And I was impressed. Most of those churches started their service Every Sunday, not just one, one Sunday every once in a while, but every Sunday, they invited the people to come to the altar and spend time in prayer before the service ever started. And I've witnessed a lot of good services that took place before the pastor ever got up to preach. People would come, and many of them openly confessing something in their life and asking the church to pray for them. And it opened the services up for God's presence to come in. It's, uh, it's a wonderful thing for us to be clean before the Lord. And notice there was a threat of death there if they didn't do that. A threat that was made by God that they die not, verse 21, so shall they wash their hands and their feet, that they die not. Now notice, and it shall be a statute for how long? Forever. To who? Even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. God still has the same standard. He hasn't changed. And he won't change. Now, there's this anointing oil that is coming up. And this is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So, we can't worship without being redeemed. We can't worship without being cleansed. 
we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God so that we can really worship. Let's, let's read that in, beginning in verse uh, 22. Moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take unto thee also these, the principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of cassia, 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of oil, olive, and hen. Now let me go back and kind of break that down into English. These spices, there was to be 12 and a half pounds of pure myrrh. Now I understand that myrrh was kind of a sap that came out of some of the trees there. Anybody know any more than that? I read that somewhere. Be twelve and a half pounds of it in our today's language. Six and a quarter pounds of cinnamon. That's a lot of cinnamon, isn't it? Make a lot of cinnamon rolls there. Six and a quarter pounds of sweet cane. I guess we would call that sugar. Twelve and a half pounds of cassia. Anybody know what cassia is? Some kind of a I don't know. What was it? Could, could be. And a gallon of olive oil. This was all blended to make the anointing oil. He said, And thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment. When you see the word holy in the Bible, that means it's something that is set apart for God's use. And the Bible tells us for us to be holy in the same way that God is holy. So we're supposed to be set apart for God's use. Or to get to. Thou shalt make it an oil of ointment, holy ointment, an ointment compound after the art of apothecary or the pharmacy as we'd call it today. It shall be a holy anointing oil. This use of the oil, it was used in different places. They were to anoint the tabernacle and its furnishings. They were to anoint the Ark of the Covenant, the table and its utensils, the lampstand and its accessories the altar and the incense, the altar of burnt offering and its utensils, the wash basin with its stand. All of these instruments that were out there, these pieces of furniture as we might call them, God wanted it all anointed. Thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, the ark of the testimony, the table and all his vessels, and the candlestick and his vessels, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all his vessels, and the laver and his foot, that little thing we just talked about. And thou shalt sanctify them. The word sanctify comes from that same word holy, means set apart for God's use. That's what sanctify means. Thou shalt sanctify them that they may be most holy. Whatsoever touches them shall be holy. 
Now these are the vessels that are to be anointed. But there are some people that need to be anointed too, beginning in verse 30. And thou shalt anoint Aaron. Who is Aaron? He's the high priest. And his sons, who are they? They were the priests serving under him. Starts out with four of them, but two of them get killed for long because they'd done something God wasn't pleased with. Thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. They needed that holy anointing on them so that they could minister to God in the priest's office. I think the most important prayer that we as Christians can pray is for God to anoint us, to fill us with His Holy Spirit. And He doesn't do that until we're clean from our sin. When we've been cleansed from our sin, then the next step is to ask God to fill us with His Holy Spirit and to anoint us for His work. And that's important. Wherever we're at and whatever we're doing, we need to realize that we're the servants of the Lord. The Lord might just call us to minister to somebody out of the blue like Brother Rick did there to the lady out there tonight. Thank you, Rick, for, for doing that and sharing with her. Verse 31, that's where we got to. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. It wasn't a once in a lifetime thing. It was to be done throughout their generations. Look at verse 32. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured. It's not something to be poured out. It's something that is used sparingly. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured, neither shall you make any other like it. It's a composition that God made up, and He wants it to be kept for His holy purposes. It shall not be poured, neither shall you make any other like it after the composition of it. It is holy. And it shall be holy unto you. God keeps emphasizing the holiness of this. I may have shared this with you. I heard somebody on radio or TV somewhere a few weeks ago. They said God is not so much interested in our happiness as He is in our holiness. And I believe that. God wants us to be holy people, set apart for His use. Does that mean we never make a mistake? No, that's not what it means. It means when we make a mistake, we repent of it and seek God's cleansing and His filling once again. Some people think that the filling of the Spirit is only for uh, ministers. Well, you read there in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There were 3,000 of them there that day. 
verse 33, Whosoever compoundeth any like it, or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger, shall even be cut off from his people. Wow. Anybody that tries to imitate it? Anybody that anoints somebody that shouldn't be anointed? God says you'll be cut off. Cut off from your people. Now, <clears throat> we've seen three things here so far. In order to worship, we must be redeemed. In order to worship, we must be cleaned. In order to worship, we must be anointed. Look with me in verse 34. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto these sweet spices, uh, stacked in on Yaku and Galbanum, I don't know what they are, these sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be a like weight. Now we've saw frankincense before, or incense as it's called. What's it for? There's a little altar in there that they offered the incense on. It's about prayer. The prayers of the saints. So we need this incense on us. Thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. Again, it comes back to that word holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small and put it before the testimony in the tabernacle or the Ark of the Covenant there. Put it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee. That's the place God meets with his people. And he's talking to the priests here. This is one of their duties that they're to offer up the prayers of the saints to God. God says, I will meet with you. It shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. It's all about the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereof or thereto shall even be cut off from his people. This sweet smell, this sweet aroma. We, we studied about that uh, a week or two ago, about the incense. Just outside, they're burning the flesh of animals, burning the fat of animals. And I'm sure that was a, not the most pleasant aroma But as the people come in to pray, and the incense was there, and they begin to let their nostrils enjoy the smell of that incense, and it covered up what the sacrifice was all about, which is sin. But it was a sweet aroma that went up to God. God's telling them there. You do it any other way, 
try to go around it. He says, shall even be cut off from his people. You see, it's serious when we come to worship God. You can't fake it. You may fake it to the people. But I'll tell you what, when your worship and my worship gets where it needs to be with God, we know it, and God knows it. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to be in the presence of God. And just to have His hand upon us and to have His anointing upon our, our lives. And again, I say it's, it's for all of God's children. It's not just for a few, but for all of us. Anyone with a question or a comment that you'd like to share with us? I know we've kind of gone through this kind of fast tonight. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Rick. It's an ongoing thing, that's for sure. That's a good point. Thank you. Someone else. Well, I, I don't know that I can answer that, Linda, but I'll make a stab at it, okay? Of course, we, we read in the New Testament, we worship through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. And like I was saying, you can't fake it. It has to be real. And uh, I, I fear many times that we're so afraid of what other people will think but really we should be we should be afraid of what God not only will think, but what God knows. He don't just think about things, he knows them. And uh, it, just, just to make sure that it's real. Uh, we were talking with a gentleman this afternoon and he, he made mention to the rocks that he liked to go sit on and so on and so forth. And that I, I realize you can worship God out in nature. You don't have to be in a building. If you wait till you get in the building, you might miss something. But God's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week for our worship. That's right. So it doesn't matter where you're at. It's... Uh, But yet God's word says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And we, we get something from each other when we come together and worship God. We, we feed each other, so to speak. And 
That's, that's a wonderful thing when God's people come together and they worship. Uh, Jonathan showed me an old, old book today. It's the minutes of the Sweetwater Baptist Association back in the 1800s. And it was handwritten in a ledger about that thick. And I was just turning those pages because they, they're old. And I was going through them carefully. And in one of their annual meetings, there were reports being given by, I, I suppose it was evangelists. And it would name the church where they had preached. And it told how many people were saved and how many were baptized and what the offering was and what, how much of that offering they gave to the minister. And it was amazing. I remember uh, Zion Hill up here. It talked about, I believe it was, they had 36 professions of faith and 30 of them were baptized. And the offering was something like $5 for the, for the week. <laughs> but what amazed me was how many people were being saved. I was talking to a, pa a fellow pastor Monday at the pastor's conference. And we go a long ways back. I was his pastor when he was just a young man. And he's been at one church 30 years now, pastoring it 32 years, really. And I said, you know, Darrell, when I was your pastor, I said, we were in revival and didn't know it. I said, we were seeing people saved week in and week out. And this church was experiencing that back in the 70s. But it wasn't just this church or Island Creek Church, but it was, it was all over the place. That were people who were coming to the Lord, the churches were growing. I remember there at Island Creek one Sunday, the uh, Sunday school director had made a statement the Sunday before. He said, if we can get 175 in Sunday school here Sunday, said, me and Clayton will sit on the roof and eat chicken. <laughs> he was scared to death. We had 173 in Sunday school. <laughs> I told him, I said, we need to go out and find two more people. <laughs> but he's afraid we're going to have to get up on that roof. But, you know, when God's at work and God's people are worshiping, it was nothing uncommon in those days to hear people testify openly of, of what the Lord was doing in their life or what they needed the Lord to do in their life. And they were they were honest about it and just open about it. and it, it was just common to hear people shout praises to the Lord. But we've kind of dumbed it down and went down. But uh, we need the Spirit of the Lord in our hearts and in our lives. If He's not there, the Bible says, if any man have not the Spirit, he's none of his. It means you're not saved. The Holy Spirit's not in your life. But uh, we better come to a close here tonight and spend a few moments in, in our prayer groups and uh, then we'll have choir practice. Uh, Brother Dennis, would you lead us in our benediction?